Purple Misery, episode 12. Welcome, everyone, to the Purple Misery Podcast. My name is Nate Atkins, your host of the show, as always. Thank you for joining me here today. Today is uh, Thursday, October 10th, 2019. Uh, episode came in a little bit later this week. Uh, you know, as I said on my, or as I have mentioned on my webpage, I, uh, during the season, I'm trying to get these episodes out every Monday and Thursday. Uh this year, or this this week, I should say, um, I had to uh, delay it a couple days. I was out of town. I was in New Orleans with my best friend Dave. Had an awesome time there. Uh, but kind of getting back into the swing of things here um, with my my day job and uh, and everything like that, I wasn't able to get things recorded on Monday. So I'm kind of doing a combo episode here today, where I talk about the Vikings win uh, on Sunday. Um, in New Jersey against the New Jersey Giants. Uh, want to talk a little bit about that, and we'll kind of talk about the preview for the upcoming Eels game and kind of what things look like for the rest of the year for the Vikings. So, again, kind of a combo episode here um, leading up into the weekend. Obviously, the Vikings are playing the Eagles at U.S. Bank Stadium coming up on Sunday at noon. Uh, very much looking forward to that. We'll talk about that in a bit, but first I want to get into uh, how things looked for the Vikings against the kind of woebegone Giants. Um, starting things off with the good, and there was plenty of that in this game, as should be expected against a banged up and relatively awful Giants team. Um, the good, Mike Hughes is back. You know, the cornerback came back uh, week three against Oakland, um, was had some limited snaps, but, you know, played marginally well, was still kind of shaking off the rust and things like that, but um, took a big leap on Sunday. He had a number of passes that he broke up, almost uh, picked off or intercepted the, uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Daniel Jones, the the Giants QB. I almost said uh, Eli Manning. <laughs> but uh, he almost had three picks on the day. Uh, very disruptive, very speedy, very good in coverage. It was very good to see him back. And, uh, you know, I and I know a lot of Vikings fans are very excited about that. So, uh, good to have him back. Um, I will kind of talk about why this is very good uh, in a little bit here when we talk about the bad, because it does tie into the performance of Xavier Rhodes. Uh, you know, I'll get to that later. Anyways, another good thing. Daniil Hunter is continuing to be the dominant presence at defensive end that we knew he would be. Uh, he had two sacks, seven pressures on the day, and that puts him really has as having the most sacks of any player by the age of 25, and he still has three games to go to to add to that number. So to give you an idea of the kind of the company that he's in, uh, he's in the company of Robert Quinn, Derek Thomas, Dwight Freeney, and Terrell Suggs, all elite-level players and likely Hall of Fame uh, candidates for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Um, again, 
Daniil Hunter is turning into this very kind of underappreciated and undervalued player in the NFL because most of the time you all that you really hear about are the the big names from teams like the Eagles, the Rams, uh, you know, I, uh, trying to think of a couple other teams that, that really have elite level defenses, the, the Bears, obviously. Uh, and, you know, I don't think Daniil Hunter gets quite enough love uh, for what he contributes to this team and really um, contributes to this defense. And really, the Vikings got an absolute bargain on his on his contract. Um, so again, great to see him with another big game. Uh, Dalvin Cook. I mean, Dalvin, Dalvin, Dalvin. What, what can you say about the guy? He had over 200 combined yards in passing and rushing. I think he had about uh, 120, maybe a little bit over that in rushing. Uh, 80 yards in receiving or just over 80 yards in receiving. I mean, the guy just continues to be just an incredible player and an incredible asset on this offense. Uh, really happy to see him with a, a great game and really what's turning into a great season and possibly an MVP uh, level season. Um, Kirk Cousins bounced back from a really bad game against Chicago. Um, it was great to see him out there just getting it done. He was slinging it. He was, you know, Mike Zimmer said last week that he just thinks that Kirk Cousins just needs to go out there and just play football. He just needs to get out there, uh, start slinging it around, start, you know, not being quite so conservative with the ball as much as Mike Zimmer loves a good conservative quarterback who's going to make, you know, smart choices. I think he also wants him to see out there, go out there and just maybe play with a little bit of risk and get, you know, a little bit of that moxie and kind of swagger back. And I think you saw that in this game. It was a good comeback game for Kirk. Um, he connected with both uh, Thielen and Diggs on a number of uh, on a number of passes, as well as uh, Olabisi Johnson. Spread the ball around well, um, uh, but it was overall it was a great game for Kirk. Uh, and I believe if you listen to his podcast that airs on Tuesday nights at 6 p.m. on KFan, he has a podcast or a show called Under Center with Kirk Cousins, and he talked about the game and how. You know, the, that kind of illustrious moment when he was with Washington and he, he was coming back from a game where I think he led the, the Redskins back from like three, being down three touchdowns. He led them back uh, to a win. And as he was, you know, you know, going into the locker room, he did that, that illustrious, you know, you like that, you like that, uh, you know, yell and holler. And he was talking about on his podcast with Mark Rosen about how he thinks he needs to, you know, be that Kirk going forward. And I couldn't agree more. I think this guy needs to play with some fire in his belly and some anger. And when he does that, I think we're going to see what he's really capable of. Um, he can he can be a really great quarterback when he plays with that fire. So let's hope he continues to do that um, going forward. I know we're definitely going to need that when we play the Eagles here at home on Sunday. But, uh, but again, great to see him have a good bounce back game and hope he can uh, keep going uh, with it. Uh, Adam Thielen, I mean, the dude just continues to be just an incredible player. You know, he had two touchdowns against Oakland, um, was pretty silent against uh, the Bears, but had a really a great game, over 100 yards receiving, two touchdowns. Um, he's looking more and more like he is Kirk's go-to guy, kind of a, everyone talks about young to Rice, um, in terms of the, uh, in terms of connections between quarterback and receiver, that's what things are looking like right now between Kirk and, and Thielen, which is really great because I think at the end of last season with that blow up on the sideline against or during the, the Chicago game between Kirk and, and Thielen, um, 
people were really skeptical as to whether there was like some kind of fracturing or whether there was a lack of chemistry between Kirk and his receivers and especially Kirk and, and Adam Thielen. Uh, so far this season, they seem to be getting stronger and stronger in terms of that connection between the quarterback and receiver. So that's really great to see. And we hope they can continue to do that going forward. Um, a rather kind of undervalued role in the game was Dan Bailey. Um, he was four for four on field goals on the season. He's only missed one. And it was a, you know, it was a, yeah, it was a legit, it was a bad kick that he had in Green Bay where he missed that field goal. He also was uh, 100% on his point after uh, touchdowns or point afters, as we call them, uh, which puts him on really only one miss on the year. His only, you know, uh, point after miss was on that that really, it was that touchdown in Green Bay where Diggs took off his helmet, drew the penalty, they backed the they backed him up all the way back to, I think, like the 48-yard line, where it ended up being like a 48-yard field goal, and Dan Bailey ended up missing. Um, other than that, he's been lights out, and that, I think, fellow Vikings fans, we can finally all breathe a sigh of relief. I think the kicking problem has been solved. Knock on wood, but still. Uh, it's great to see him having a good season. I think there was something to the whole holder mechanics and things like that when the Vikings talk about, you know, the the importance of the holder, uh, bringing in Britton Colquitt as the punter, who, by the way, had a great game, um, continues to be a great punter and a great asset to this team. Um, but he seems to really have a good connection with, with Bailey. And as his holder, uh, Dan's having a great year. Ended up getting special teams player of the week, um, this week, so many congratulations to him on that. Uh, another uh, bright spot was Afedi Odenibo uh, came in, got himself a sack. Uh, I think this is Afedi's third year in the NFL. He's kind of bounced around between teams, uh, sometimes on practice squads. He was on the Vikings practice squad last year, made the roster this year. Uh, under the guidance of Andre Patterson, he has made a lot of uh, progress, and it's great to see him um, out there contributing, gets the sack on the day. Um, real excited to see him continue to develop because I think that the success that they've had on this defensive line has been their depth, their ability to kind of rotate players in and out, get them get them some rest here and there. I think it's working out really well and a big part of why this defense has been so dominant. You know, overall, it was a good team win with a lot of good complimentary football. You know, the uh, the defense stepping up when they had to. Obviously, Dalvin Cook had that unfortunate fumble down on the two-yard line, and um, the Vikings were able to, on the next play, come back. Anthony Barr pretty much just walked into the end zone and uh, tackled the the Giants running back you know, in the end zone for a safety. You know, that's the kind of complimentary football that you want to see when the, when the offense makes a mistake or something like that. The defense is able to uh, step up and, you know, in that case, get some points on the board. But also, in all three aspects, offense, defense, special teams, it was just a really good, complete game. As I mentioned, Dan Bailey had a great day. Uh, Britton Colquitt had a great day and continues to have a great season. The offense, you know, sputtered at some times. Um, we'll get to that in a second. But, you know, overall, it looked like they were mixing things up well in the, the first half. And I know some people were kind of critical with their second half offense. But at that time, I believe they had established enough of a, a cushion points-wise, where they could go to a more conservative kind of play calling. Um, and, you know, the Vikings end up getting, uh, I think they end up finishing 28-10. to 10. Uh, You're, you're going to see that with a Mike Zimmer team. Um, they're not going to, like, really 
put a bunch of points up on the board when they don't need to. They're going to be a much more conservative style offense when they got a good lead um, because they want to protect that. They want to control the clock. They want to run the clock down. All that is very smart. I'm kind of, I would kind of like to see this team kind of, you know, uh, go, go in for the kill, you know, really dagger that team and uh, just destroy them. And uh, unfortunately, we haven't seen that a lot. Maybe we'll see it at some point. But what, like I said, when when the Vikings have a good uh, good cushion, you know, a couple touchdowns, ten to fourteen points or, or higher, you're gonna see them kind of change their offense. You know, just as we saw against Atlanta and Oakland, um, they're not gonna be as aggressive with the ball, with passing and things like that. And it's understandable. Might be kind of frustrating. Might make the second half of games a little bit more boring. But hey you can't really argue with it in terms of it being the smart thing to do. So a couple bad points here on the game. Um, you know, gosh, the biggest thing right now has been these penalties. Um, it's 12 pe- penalties on the day for 112 yards, 44 penalties on the season. It's a really weird thing for a Mike Zimmer led team to have uh, this many penalties, uh, you know, going into the season and I know that Mike Zimmer has talked about needing to get it cleaned up. Um, Everson Griffin mentioned, I think, on a, a conference call report with reporters on Monday how, you know, just kind of amazed he is with it. it. It's a tough thing because I've read around and it sounds like the refs are calling more penalties just across the league. So that's something to kind of keep in, keep in mind. But it's still something the Vikings do have a, a certain amount of control over. And it's something that they need to kind of clean up and get... Uh, get straightened out because there's times when these penalties can really dagger your team and really, really hurt them. Um, Hopefully they'll get this kind of straightened out, especially against the Eagles. We can't uh, afford to uh, really shoot ourselves in the foot against that team. But uh, that is one of the kind of uglier aspects of this game and kind of of the season as an overall. Um, The other kind of bad point, uh, kind of negative on the day was the continued kind of decline of Xavier Rhodes. Um, you know, last season, or I'm sorry, last offseason or this past offseason, I made a case that Rhodes should have been traded before the season started. Um, and granted, this was before, um, this was before Holton Hill ended up getting suspended for, you know, the first four games and then later the next four games. Um, so it's kind of a bust take. I had made it on, you know, Facebook and Twitter and things like that. So if you want to, you know, search my history or whatever, go ahead and do that. But, uh, the, I just think he's in too much of a decline right now, uh, for the Vikings to, to have that kind of payroll sitting there. And I think that they should have traded him. I think that they should have used that to get some more, uh, offensive line help. Heck, maybe even a, a different cornerback. Cause right now, I mean, when you look at the the defensive backs or the, the cornerback core that they have between Rhodes, Waynes, Mackenzie Alexander, Mike Hughes, Holton Hill eventually coming back, Chris Boyd, the rookie, um, and even uh, I should mention Marcus Sherrills, obviously he's back with the team and he sometimes uh, drops in as a cornerback. I just think that they that when you kind of look at the the kind of return on investment with Rhodes, I don't know. He seems to have lost a bit of speed, maybe a little bit of confidence. Maybe he's overthinking things too much. Maybe he just needs to go out there and play. Um, I don't know. It's a difficult thing with Rhodes. I kind of, you know, I kind of wish they would have traded him. I think it would have been good to bring in some younger blood in the uh, 
in the cornerbacks because it. I don't know if the Vikings are going to sign Waynes in the off season. Um, they do, you know, still have some youth there. You know, with Hughes, uh, Hughes, Holton Hill, Chris Boyd, but maybe get a little bit more uh, youth in there. Uh, bringing a younger cornerback via free agency or the draft. Um, yeah, it, it's kind of a tough thing. I wish that uh, Rhodes would uh, kind of continue to, uh, I guess, would improve and not continue to decline the way that he has. But, you know, we'll have to kind of see what happens here in future weeks. He did, he obviously had a good, uh, you know, opening game against the Falcons and Julio Jones. Maybe it's just something where he just needs to, he kind of steps up more in big time games, which I'm not going to fault him for. <laughs> so, uh, last point red zone production. Uh, the Vikings allowed uh, Cousins to get sacked twice, and uh, when they were down in the red zone, they ended up having to kick field goals. That could have been an additional um, 12 points had they uh, had that not happened. Cook, obviously, as I mentioned, fumbled on the two. Overall for the season, the red zone production has not been good, but I think that's going to turn around as the season moves along. I think by the time we get to Week 8 um, and the game against Washington, on Thursday, October 24th, I think you're going to see this Vikings offense really hit their stride. Um, it's just, it's taking a little bit of time with a new scheme, a new offensive coordinator, new offensive coaches. It's, you know, it's going to take them a little bit of time to kind of find their groove and kind of gel as, in a, as a complete unit. You got to remember, this is, I think, the fourth offensive coordinator in five or six years for Mike Zimmer. And for, for a lot of the guys on this offense, it's just, it's going to take a little bit of time. Um, and I think with that, you'll see that red zone production improve, even though it has been kind of, uh, kind of negative so far. So, um, yeah, so again, overall, a very good win, uh, for the team, a much needed win. And, um, I think I speak for a lot of Viking fans when I say, yes, it was a great win, but I think we're going to feel a lot better if they beat the Eagles on Sunday. Um, it's one thing to beat up on bad teams like the Giants. It's you know it's one thing to beat up on bad teams like Oakland and Atlanta, who's now at one and four, which is just amazing to me. But we need to start beating good teams. We need to start beating teams like the Eagles in really the following weekend against the Lions, who are looking much more improved. So, you know, looking at the Eagles game here, uh, a couple points I think you kind of want to look for going into that. I think it's going to be key for the Vikings to run a more up tempo offense. Um, that will prevent the Eagles front seven from really getting set and allow the Vikings to kind of catch them off guard. And I think if they do that throughout the game, they're going to wear down that front seven because right now the Eagles defense is very good. And I believe they have the number one ranked running defense. If they can continue to kind of run an up tempo, maybe no huddle um, offense where they're they're just getting these plays, um, uh, getting these uh, offensive plays out you know, very quickly, I think that they're going to have, you know, get an advantage over this uh, Eagles defense. I think that'll be a key, key element to this game. Hopefully not too much time left in the huddle because as the game wears on, um, if you're running an up-tempo offense, that really wears down that defensive line. And, um, you know, that the Eagles do as great as they are. They do have some aging players. And uh, with that age comes the ability to kind of wear them down quicker. So, Another good point here to kind of keep an eye on. The Eagles are over 50% on third down conversions on offense, and the Vikings are still one of the best at third down defense. Uh, you know, with keep in mind, though, with the, the Eagles currently, 
you know, doing so well on third down con, uh, conversions. They have been playing and kind of beating up on, on ratty, uh, bad teams with really bad third down defenses. You know, they played Washington, Atlanta, and Detroit. All those teams don't have very good third down defenses. So that might be kind of skewing that statistic, but it would be good, as always, to see the Vikings defense really hold them on those third downs. It's going to be um, uh, very critical that they continue to do that um, going into this game. Um, So, you know, a little bit about that game. Um, Obviously, we need to. We obviously need to beat the Eagles. We're going to feel a lot better if they beat the Eagles, and um, that's going to be even more critical because this is kind of the time. You know, the Eagles, Lions, Redskins games. Those are really going to give us an idea of what this team is. Uh, if they are a, a, a team on the rise, or if they are kind of the same 2018 Vikings that were very up and down, where they would beat up on bad teams and then you know take an L against the good teams. Um, these next three weeks are going to be very critical for the team to give us any, an idea of whether or not they're actually going to make the playoffs, if they're going to make a good, uh, strong run into the playoffs, maybe a deep run, or if uh, if they're going to end up missing it. So I did want to talk about an article that I read over at the Daily Norseman by a guy named Warren Ludford. I have talked about his work before. I highly recommend you follow him on Twitter. And if you can, follow his work over at the Daily Norseman. Um, he was looking at the... Uh, the Vikings division prospects looking into the future of the year. Um, And he kind of rattles off a number of kind of key points or key statistics here. And I I won't read the entire uh, article back to you, but I do want to touch on some things that he touched on. And uh, I think that, you know, after I get through with this, I think that we'll have a pretty good feeling about the Vikings going forward. So, you know, he talks in his article about a number of things that we need to kind of keep an eye on. And one of them is injuries. Unfortunately, right now the Vikings are pretty healthy. Um, just looking at the most, you know, recent injury report, Mackenzie Alexander is still kind of, you know, working his way back. I think he, he was a limited participant in uh, in practice yesterday. And uh, Josh Klein, the um, right guard, what did not practice yesterday. It sounds like it was a foot injury. Um, you know, significant losses. But still, overall, the team is pretty healthy. So, you know, he talks about in here something called an AGL or adjusted games loss statistic. And that is um, there is a, uh, a website called Football Outsiders that use this this statistic to kind of um, get a good measure on kind of the impact of significant losses for players. And this might kind of sound like a kind of a no duh thing. You know, if a, if a team loses significant players, you can expect them to lose. But there is some numbers behind uh, all of that to kind of back that up and give you a little bit of insight as to, you know, where a team might be going or why a team might end up the way it is. So he writes, not surprisingly, teams finishing toward the bottom of the league in terms of the most AGL or adjusted games lost uh, statistic don't often make the playoffs, while teams with relatively few AGL tend to make the playoffs. For example... Seven of the ten top ten teams in fewest AGL made the playoffs last season, while only three of the bottom ten, ten teams did. The same was true in 2017. Only just one team in the bottom ten made the playoffs. So, knock on wood, let's hope that the Vikings can continue to stay healthy. Again, knock on wood. He also writes, 
The Vikings have had a handful of AG, AGLs so far, but no serious or injur- enduring injuries, knock on wood. Now, the Vikings have also had some depth in the roster where they could sustain an injury, injury in a few position groups without too much of a drop-off in performance, knock on wood. Uh, this is kind of important. I think with some of the key additions like Ola B.C. Johnson, who's emerging as a really solid wide receiver three, uh, Irv Smith Jr., who's emerging as a really good uh, tight end, Obviously, the Vikings have some good depth at running back with uh, Alexander Madison and Mike Boone and Amir Amir Abdullah backing up uh, Dalvin Cook. I think that they have great depth along the defensive line. I think with having Mike Hughes back and with getting Holton Hill back in a few weeks, that's going to add a lot of depth to the the defensive backs. Um, uh, And I should mention J. Ron Curse, obviously, backing up uh, uh, Anthony Harris and uh, Harrison Smith. The only kind of issue where we have some depth is uh, excuse me along the o-line um but they've been holding up pretty well knock on wood and um let's hope they continue to do so so he continues to write in 2018 the bears injury luck went from just about worst the previous two years to nearly the best including easily the fewest agl in the nfc north with only 36.6 the vikings and lions had about 30 more and the packers almost 60 more the Bears won the division easily. So, he concludes, but with a lot of parity in the NFL and the NFC North, injuries can play an outsized role in determining success. And with the division within a game top, uh, within a game top to bottom, in terms of, you know, I think right now the Vikings are technically like a half game or maybe just a game behind the Packers. Uh, and the Vikings relatively healthy, their prospects in this key factor in determining success remain good, knock on wood. So, Another point that he talks about is kind of the overall performance, and what he mentions is the PFF grade, or pro football focus grade. This is something that's used a lot these days, obviously with analytics and things like that coming into play within the NFL. Um, I'm not a big fan of pro football-focused statistics. I think that they miss a lot of things. I think it leads, or it leaves a lot open to kind of human interpretation and error. So... I tend to kind of disregard them, but I think there's times when they can be useful. Um, you know, uh, Ludford writes, so far this season with few injuries to any NFC North teams and fairly even between them, the Vikings have had a noticeably higher overall PFF grade compared to other NFC North teams and the league in general. So that's obviously very good. Again, I kind of take them with a grain of salt, but hey, it's a positive thing, so obviously I'm going to take it and run with it. Anything that said negative about the Vikings, I'm going to disregard it. Why? Because I'm a huge Vikings rube. So, uh, Ledford continues, Last year, nine of the top ten teams in overall regular season PFF grade, including all nine of the top nine, made the playoffs. The Vikings finished 11th. The Bears were 5th, and the Packers and Lions were 18th and 19th, respectively. In 2017, the Vikings finished second overall uh, regular season PFF grade. In 2015, they were ninth. Remember, those two seasons, they made the playoffs. 2015, they were bounced out uh, in the wild card round. Uh, 2017, obviously, we had the Minneapolis Miracle and went on to get beat down by the Phillies, or I'm sorry, the the Eagles in Philadelphia uh, in the NFC Championship. So, he concludes, but if the Vikings are playing relatively well compared to their division rivals, but are trailing them in division rankings, that doesn't make sense. There must be some other factor affecting results. And what he kind of what he concludes here, what he what he mentions is kind of like our overall offensive statistics 
you know, are good. I think in terms of like yards per game, yards per play on our defense, uh, yards per game allowed, uh, yards per play allowed, the Vikings rank near the top. In fact, they're actually at the top in three of those categories and only uh, in second in one of them. Um, doesn't make a lot of sense, but, you know, with, with us only being, you know, coming up on our uh, week six here, that might be kind of an explanation for kind of that, that kind of wonky outcome. But the a very encouraging thing that he mentions here is the future strength of schedule. Uh, he mentions, or he writes, the uh, Bears and Lions may also be a bit of a, of a disadvantage as they both will have their remaining schedule without a bye week. They had their bye weeks earlier, I should mention. Vikings have theirs later. I think it's like week 10 or 11, uh, which can be tough from a wear and tear standpoint. Also, the Vikings remaining games against the Bears and Packers are both home games as well, which is an advantage. Obviously, um, those are going to be big contests coming up in December. I think they are going to determine the division overall. I still, if I were a betting man today, I'd bet on the Packers winning the division, which just pains me to say. But, you know, got to give credit where credit's due and be realistic uh, realistic about things. Right now, the Packers seem to be playing well enough to win the division. But uh, we'll see what happens here as the as the year wears or as the season goes on. So bottom line, Ludford writes, the Vikings relative sustainable performance uh, and things like that in terms of being relatively healthy and uh, having a bit of an advantage in the remaining schedule, give the Vikings a, a favorable outlook for the rest of the season. And he uh, continues and concludes, injuries have been a leading determinant of division success in recent years. So the Vikings staying healthy will be key. And I think that goes without saying. But in terms of performance, despite some disappointing outings against division rivals, the Vikings still stack up well against the NFC North opponents in key stats on both offensive defense as well as overall PFF grades. So I think that leads to a rather favorable outlook. And I think what I kind of feel, and it's something that I kind of get a sense from from other Vikings fans when I kind of follow Vikings on Twitter and Reddit, I think that we want to be optimistic, but we're still waiting for a bit more proof. And I think if the Vikings can defeat the Eagles and the Lions in the next two weeks, that will give us a much more assurance that we're looking at a team much more similar to 2017 than 2018. But obviously, time will tell. So, the other couple of things I wanted to mention is, you know, when the when the schedule first came out and everyone was looking at uh, the Vikings schedule, uh, a lot of them looked at the games against the Chiefs and Cowboys as being almost certain losses. I've never really been that big on the Cowboys. I just think, I think that they they look really flashy on paper. Not so much when we actually get to play them. Uh, but right now, with both the Chiefs and Cowboys losing on Sunday, the Chiefs uh, were upset by the Colts. The Cowboys were beaten at home by the Packers. Um, all of a sudden, those two games are suddenly looking much more winnable, as well as the week uh, week fifteen game against the Chargers. Um, Chargers have really been struggling this season. Um, all three of those games are suddenly looking like they could be possible W's for the team. Um, I think the Colts provided a good blueprint on how to beat, um, the Chiefs. And I think you kind of saw that in that Lions game the week before when the Lions, you know, really brought that down to the, the end of the game in terms of, you know, forcing the Chiefs to really beat them on that last drive. The Cowboys, again, I just haven't been that big on. I, I don't know what it is. They have a lot of talent there, but I I think that's certainly a winnable game, even if it is in Dallas. So overall, I think things are looking positive 
for this Viking squad, but we will really get a better sense of that in the next two weeks. So that will conclude the show today. Uh, thank you again for joining me. As always, check out my website, purplemisery.com, and follow me on Twitter, at purplemisery, all one word. Have a good weekend, and Skull Vikings. <laughs>